are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We're talking about the uh, vision for the next couple of years, in particular our, our, our building needs and the plans here. But please, can, I, can you hear me real carefully right now? Because I just want you to know that Riverside, God did not make Riverside Community Church to build buildings. We're not just here to build bricks and mortars and put it up. Our mission is to build a community of people where people can come and they can find Jesus and they can learn what it means to follow Jesus so that they can become the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around us. That's what Riverside is about and that's what trumps everything that we do. And so the degree to which we talk about buildings it's not, it's how the buildings can be used to help us fulfill our mission, to help us to help people find and follow Jesus. And buildings, frankly, can be powerful tools to help us do the mission that God has called us. But at times, buildings can also be impediments to helping us to do what God's called us to do. So in this final message in the It's Time series, uh, we're looking at regular people over the past few weeks who stepped up in their generation And they, because they did, because they stepped up and did something by faith, God was able to advance the message of redemption through them during their time and and, and time. So we looked at people like Abraham and Joshua. We looked at people like David and Esther. And today, as we invite you to do what you can do to help all of us to do together, uh, to advance the mission uh, of God's redeeming grace in our own community, in our own time, I want to look at a man that God used to do a great building project, and his name is Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn to Nehemiah. If you need to find out where it is in your Bible, go to Psalms and turn backwards toward the front of the Bible. I always look at Psalms as that dividing point in the Old Testament, so it's the biggest chunk of uh, space there. Go back past Job, go past Esther, you're going to find Nehemiah uh, pretty quickly on there. So... Uh, so that's where we're at, and I want to talk about this guy who was a great leader. But he was a great leader because he cast a great vision and people followed, and they were able to do a wonderful job for the work of the Lord in their time. I want to make a few observations about Nehemiah's story, and I want to begin by just reading the first few verses of the book. Nehemiah, who became the governor of Judah for the remnants that returned from captivity after the time of the exile of God's people, if you know your Old Testament history. It begins with Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now, Nehemiah, again, was, was recording the events that took place. So we're reading sort of his history here. And he tells the story of what happened beginning the, going on here. He says, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hin and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, he said, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. 
So what's going on here? At this time, Nehemiah is an official in, king, in the king's court, the king of Persia. So he's in the citadel of Susa, the capital city of Persia. When you think of a citadel, you think of a fortress, you think of a big walled city, you think of a place that's right now, this is the reigning empire in the world. The Persian empire had defeated Babylon. They're on the top of the heap. And so there's great wealth, there's great prosperity, there's great comfort. And here's Nehemiah, who is Jewish by, by, by heritage, but had probably been born in Persia. And he was probably very bright and talented. They saw leadership skills in him, so he rose through the ranks of the Persian Empire. He's now in the king's court. He's uh, probably an advisor to the king, and he's there in comfort. But about 93 years earlier... When Cyrus became the king of Persia, he allowed some of the Jews who had been taken away from Israel and, and, uh, and had been captive uh, after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Israel. He allowed them to go back to Jerusalem and join the very few people who, remnants who had remained there during the 70 year of exile. So, so they're back there. Zerubbabel went back. Several waves of people went back. They rebuilt the temple. It wasn't really as, as great as the previous temple. They didn't have the wealth and the ability to do what Solomon had done because all of that had been taken away when Nebuchadnezzar took it. So, so anyhow, they're back there. 93 years go by, and, and Nehemiah knows some relatives, knows some people, some friends that went back, and he gets the bad report of what's going on there. Notice he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Can I just say this? Nehemiah was a great leader because he was touched by things that touched the heart of God. Those who serve in leadership, those who serve in government, who do so because they want to serve the people are great leaders. Those who serve because they want to make a name for themselves and achieve power and wealth are corrupt leaders. So the difference, it's not that government is bad. There's good government and bad government. The question is, who are they in government for? Is it for themselves or are they there to serve the people? Nehemiah was a good leader. He was there to serve the people and his heart was broken because he heard that his people, his Jewish people were back there in their homeland and they were in in stark poverty and extreme poverty while he's sitting in comfort there in the citadel of Susa, the king's place. So he, he, he was touched by that. He cried. He wept. He was broken by that. And the bottom line is any great accomplishment is usually born out of a deep brokenness. People do great things because they see a great problem. They see a great need. And they're broken by, the, by what breaks the heart of God. And that's why Nehemiah was a great leader. I, I, think, I think of other biblical examples. Moses, God stirred Moses' heart at the burning bush because he said, I heard the cry of my people who were slaves in Egypt in their distress. And now, Moses, you're going down. So it was the God... God is a God of justice. He hates injustice. And when he sees that, he wants, he calls people to step up. Jesus going down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem that last week, he saw Jerusalem and he, and he wept over the city. And he said, even if you only you had known to this day would, would bring you peace. So God's heart is touched by the needs of the people. And that's what motivated Nehemiah for this, this building project. It wasn't about building a wall. Because what happened, the whole thing was, it was the walls of the city 
that were broken down. So the people were defenseless. The people were, uh, were not able or, or maybe didn't have the right leadership to be able to create the wall to protect them. And so as a result, they were in distress. So, so, so Nehemiah's heart was broken by the things that break the heart of God. And because of that, he was willing to go to the king and say, hey, can you let me, can you, empower, can you deputize me to go there and help solve this problem? And King Artaxerxes allowed him to do that. So applying it to this project that we're talking about here, let me just explain that we, several months ago, as a result of a series of events, purchased a building that's right on the other end of town, right across from the high school, right across from the football field there behind the stands, the grandstands. Some of you over the past several weeks took the time to go down there and saw that building. You understand it. You know it. And uh, uh, it's a great opportunity for us. Um, and, and because of that, we want to invest in that building. Now, we do that. It's a broken building. It's an old building. It's, it's in bad condition. We basically, it's just a shell right now. It needs everything from top to bottom and sides to be either strengthened or redone. New roofs, new uh, uh, insulation on the walls. And so it's really a huge project down there. And we set a goal to raise $1.5 million. And, and, uh, and, and we also have plans to do some work here. <clears throat> I, I've explained that. I won't take the time right now to go into the details of all that, but let me just say that we believe as a leadership team that it's time for us to do these things. The Student Life Center that we had at the other end of the block where we used to have our Wednesday night event for kids is no longer there. It was lease space. We lost that lease. Now we have the kids in this building, and it's great on Sunday mornings because they don't have to walk down the other end of the block and parents like that. But on Wednesday nights, when we would have more kids from the community coming who don't come to Riverside because we'd have the big events for all the kids and we have a nice space there and our worship team was leading them and it was a fantastic, fun event, we do it now in this space and with the slanted floors and just the way it's configured, it's not the most ideal thing for us to do. So that's one of the other parts of the project. So the building down there and this building. Coincidentally, when we lost the Student Life Center, the same time the Nexus building that we have that we're leasing down there is, is getting too small. It, it is too small for the number of junior hires and high schoolers that go there. It's a great space. We built it, 2,000 square feet. Right now on Wednesday night and Sunday nights, there are more kids coming to there than that is comfortable enough to hold them. And so great space, building a great tool for us to accomplish our mission, to help students, help children, help people find and follow Jesus. But... The problem is now it becomes a hindrance to our mission because it's not conducive for us to continue to reach and help students find and follow Jesus. That's all happening when this building becomes available where we can buy it and own it and no longer have to lease, have our own property. And, and it's 4,000 square feet of worship space where you can fit 250 seats. You can imagine it filled with students on Sunday night, Wednesday night. Also a space for fellowship area. One of the things that this Student Life Center uh, place had for us was the ability to have places for community building activities. We're here to build a community. So when there were funerals, it was the normal place to go after a funeral to walk down there and have nice 
seating and a place where families could gather together and comfort and support one another. It was the place where we would do baby showers and bridal shower or uh, and, and bridal showers and and other small group activities. Well, that was taken away from us here. Our ability to do that was was no longer uh, capable. So. So there was these needs. It was like the walls were broken down, in a sense. Figuratively speaking, some of the walls were broken down. Our ability to, to, to provide security for our future growth were, were, were taken away from us. And yet, we now have an opportunity to expand on that. About three-quarters of the, of the amount that we're raising will be spent on the nexus space down there. And then about a quarter of it would be spent on bringing this place up to speed, flattening the floor, turning the sanctuary around, I can have eye contact with people that I'm speaking to. We're able to put another entrance in and, and make this place far more intimate and uh, far more conducive to worship on a Sunday morning, increase our video capability to high def so <clears throat> the people at the mills can now see me in high def. I, mean, I think that's worthy enough for them to give to it, don't you? <clears throat> All of that is, is why we're doing this. But let me just tell you that it's really... That's, that's the brick and mortar part of it. But it's really more of a heart issue. And this is why Teresa and I have said that we are going to really give significant and sacrifice to this. Imagine, if you would, with me, a sixth grade kid from the community, wasn't raised in church, maybe a couple times his parents or grandparents brought him to church, but really it didn't connect with him when a kid. It didn't, they didn't have a lot of things going on at him at that age level, or it just was not a place where he felt like he belonged. And so he never really had a church background, but goes to school, and one of our kids that came up through our, our children's ministry and the Wednesday night clubhouse and loves church, invited him to come to our Nexus Junior High on a Wednesday night, and this kid comes from the first time. He looks like a normal kid on the outside, <clears throat> You know, somewhat, uh, you know, not overly popular, but not really an outcast. But what people don't know that on the inside, the kid's falling apart because they don't realize that he came from a home. And, and you know, I'm going to tell you a story that's really based on actual stories of kids, typical kids these days. Comes to school in the morning and he's sort of just in pieces on, on, on the inside, but he doesn't want anybody to know because he's embarrassed because he just hears the war raging at home, parents fighting at each other. Alcoholism is wrecking his home apart, and he's going to school and trying to cope and survive, and he comes to a place where a friend invites him, and, and it's different, and he starts coming. And imagine that he makes some friends there. Imagine in seventh grade, maybe by now, he's on medication to fix him. But the reason he needs medication is because he's trying to cope with a broken system and a broken world and a broken family all around him. And he's so insecure and so shattered. His nerves are on, on fray. And so he's on medication to help him cope with, to fix the world around him. When he's, and so he comes and on Wednesday nights he hears, he gets to know some of these adult leaders and they just love on him. They let him just talk. They let him know that 
there is a normal world beyond his family that people understand. They let him hear the story of Jesus. He begins to understand and he grows in his faith. And over the years, eighth grade, ninth grade, he, maybe, maybe there's a bump in the road, you know. Maybe in ninth grade, the peer pressure gets to him. He starts experimenting with his friends and maybe experimenting sexually. And he faces some of the consequences of that. He feels bad. Maybe he fall. Maybe he drops out for a little bit. But something pulls him back. Another friend invites him to come to Nexus Senior High. And he meets kids from all the surrounding school districts that are coming to it. And he makes new friends. And he sees that there are people that love God. And that they are doing their best to help each other follow Jesus. And this kid, he gets some strength back in his life. He gets some understanding and some tools to help him cope with the challenges that are facing him. He's maturing. His body's changing. He's beginning to think a little bigger and broader than he did. Maybe he goes to winter retreat and something happens at that winter retreat and he just falls on his face before God and all that toxic waste that's been accumulating inside of him just gets dumped right there at the altar and God does a healing work in his life and something clicks inside of him and now he just begins to see with the eyes of Jesus. He sees himself and he realizes the value that he has because of what God has created him to be. He understands that he has value to give. Yes, he might be broken in his, but others are just as broken to maybe he saves all his money with his part-time job and he saves up and he raises some funds and he goes on a mission trip he gets out of his little world of Verona and Oakmont or Springdale or Cheswick and he goes overseas to a developing country like Cambodia and he realizes that the needs of the world are so great and that he has God uh, has called him to do whatever he can in his future life to do what God would want him to do to help make the world a better place. Imagine he graduates. Imagine he gets involved helping the junior hires, helping him even on Wednesday nights the children in the church, and the church gets strengthened by that. Imagine this kid when he's 25 now, and he's married, and he's expecting his first kid. And these are the things that kids are saying to Pastor Donnie, and these are the, what we're hearing them say. If I did not have Nexus, I don't know where my life would be. My life was saved because this ministry was in my community. Folks, that's the heart issue that grabs me. That's why I want to have a children's ministry that's going to help kids have a place where they love church, where they hear the gospel, where students can go and invite their friends and they can hear it in ways that they understand it. And it's a place that they can get inspired and changed and helped. And this kid that's 25 is saying, I don't think I would be here today or my life would have achieved any of what I've achieved if I did not have that. Multiply that one kid by 100 kids, 200 kids, 500 kids. Imagine what the mission of God can do when we create a space where we no longer have a lid on our ability to reach kids, but we take the lid off and we're able to help us reach that vision for Christ. That's why Teresa and I are committed to making this happen and give sacrificially to this project. But it's not going to come without challenges. Nehemiah didn't do this without challenges. If you read on in the next uh, chapter, you understand when Nehemiah went to the city, he was sent with uh, the, the uh, approval and the sort of deput deputization from the king. And he gets there, and the first thing he does is he does his due diligence. 
And he walks around the walls of the city at nighttime, and he just sort of makes notes and sees the project, takes note of all the things that are broken down there. The walls are, the gates have been burned, the walls are torn down, the people are living in poverty. And it was confirmed to the story, the report that his brother had given him years ago, or, or not that long earlier. So anyhow, notice what it says. He scopes it out, he, he, then he calls the people together, and he casts a vision to them. Verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. He said, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about the gracious hand of God, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, and about my conversation with the king. And they all replied at once, yes, let's do this. Let's rebuild the wall. And they began the work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So basically what we see here is there are some skeptics. And the motivations of these, uh, scholars are saying that these are probably Arabs that were involved in the spice trade because a lot during this time in history were, were helping the Persians to trade their spices, trade their wares to the western provinces, the western territories. And so the, the Arabs were, were integral to this getting done. And so when they see that they're going to build the walls around Jerusalem and kind of put a wall around our trade uh, abilities. They didn't like that. They were opposing it. They didn't believe that they should do that. So, so that was basically the bottom line is any great project that you do at work, any great project you do with your family, any great task that you take on, the reason it's a great task is because it's not easy. And you will face obstacles. You will face hurdles. You will face even people that will question why you're doing what you're doing. Um, anytime you do a, a building project for church, you've got a lot of people who are saying, this is a lot of money we're investing. Is this the right thing? And they're good questions. Don't get me wrong. But let me just, and I've been talking to a lot of people. I wish that I had time to talk to everybody individually. Seven years ago when we did the campaign to be able to go on our expedition where we raised funds to start the mills and you know the story of all that happened there. I met with smaller groups of people individually and I've not done that this time and I'm a little concerned. So imagine that I'm sitting with you in your living room right now. I realize that the mass appeal is not nearly as effective as the one-on-one -on -one appeal. Can we get over that? Would you help give me the grace to do that and save my time and yours? And imagine that I'm sitting across the table from you to have this conversation. But one of the questions that people ask, as I have been talking with people on one-on-one -on -one or just in smaller groups, a few that I've met with, is, you know, we're an outreach-focused church. We're a missions-giving church. Will this take away from our missions-giving? And the answer is simply no. We're not stepping back at all from our giving to missions. In fact, we believe that our community is a mission field and what we are doing will help us be even more effective at reaching our own community around us, which is the mission field, our primary mission field. But we are not taking away from any of our global mission support and giving. And if we do grow, if we're able to reach more students and equip them and reach more adults and be a more welcoming place in both of our, all of our locations, then we're only going to shore up our ability to 
give toward foreign missions and beyond. Another, another question that people have is, well, this is it's a lot of money. Is this the wisest use of our resources? Well, you have an opportunity to lease spaces or to buy spaces, which is the wiser use of your resources. Buying, if you can, in a great location trumps leasing something indefinitely because you can own it, you can quit, you can pay off the mortgage, and it's a much better space. Once we're done investing in this, it'll be a far more usable space than even the lease spaces that we had before. It's a place where we'll have space down there to be able to do our funeral lunches, our small groups, as well as the auditorium where you can have church events, where we could have a space that uh, can help. The mills is a lease space. So, and, and, and doing this is far less expensive than the alternatives. Repairing the broken walls of today are only going to secure us more for the future. So yes, I believe this is the best investment of our, of our finances at this time. Another question I get, and, uh, and, and I think, uh, and you can understand this, people that don't come to the Oakmont site, people that have started coming to the mill site since we built the mills, uh, or people that are over there saying, well, these projects are in Oakmont. Why should I, if I attend the mills, give to these projects that are in Oakmont? And uh, my answer to that is, is simply this. Uh, besides, you'll get to see me in high def. <laughs> that should be reason enough. Um, really, I think, I think we need to understand that the mill space is also leased space. Now, that is a great lease space because of its strategic location. I don't think there are too many churches that are able to do what we're able to do there, and it's been a great growth tool for us. But again, it's lease space in six years. When that lease is up, what kind of a deal will we be able to make? It's only going to be going up in price. In six years, the leases that those anchor stores had signed when they joined that mill are going to be up. Are they going to renew their leases in that mall? And if not, what will be the condition of that mall? You don't know. We don't know. This space down here that we're building, we could have everybody that attends in the mills if they would drive across the river, attend there on a Sunday morning and not skip a beat <clears throat> while we're looking for the next location on the other side of the river. So that, I think, <clears throat> is another part of why that. And plus, besides those at the mills need to realize they are there because people six years ago and people still today with the funds that we have here are helping to support what goes on at the mill. So people sacrificed for that place. We need, we are one church. Then the last question is, well, you know, this seems to be a lot about children and students. What about older adults? <clears throat> Let me just hit on that real quickly. I think that we need to realize that our greatest mission here is to impart faith to the next generation. As older adults, I want my life to count for something, a legacy that I can leave behind. And, and I don't know of any wiser investment for me at this stage of my life than to say, I want this church to exist in the future, and I'm willing to invest in that. But, but even on a practical level, having bathrooms on this level will help everybody. It'll help from us having to walk down those narrow steps, going down through children's space. That's one little way. And I just think the whole worship environment will be better for sound, for lighting, and everything for all who attend here. 
So Nehemiah cast the vision, and a vast majority of the people believed that it was a necessary project, and uh, they just jumped right in and got involved. There was some opposition that they faced. But then let's take a look at how they did it. Nehemiah chapter 3, and if you were to read the whole chapter, you would say, this is really boring, and it is, because Nehemiah, the memoir, the chronicler, he wrote down the names and the locations of all the work that was done to rebuild the wall. And if you read it, it just goes from this person built the wall right there, this person built that section of the wall, these people built the gates, this person built, and he goes all around the city and he chronicles who did what. But I just want to pick up right in the middle of that chapter, verse 28, it says, above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. I love that line right there. And this is sort of the the flavor of the whole chapter. Next, Zadok, the son of Emer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemamiah, the son of Shechaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next was Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and blah, 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 the sixth. They repaired another section while this person rebuilt the wall across from where they lived. Notice, everybody did their part to repair the wall that was right in front of them. And basically, that's all we're asking people to do. Do your part. Let's just all do our part. If everybody does their part, I believe that we'll be able to raise the million and a half dollars to be able to get this done. But it's everybody. They didn't hire the outsiders and pay them. They all got involved and did something to make this happen. It was too big for any one person to fix. And as they did this, it began to build their confidence for the future. About halfway through, the enemies, their opponents started to, you know, threaten them with war. And they planned a plot to attack them. And so while they were building, they had to, you know, have their weapons strapped to their bodies. They had guards. They were continuing to build. And and they did it all. And chapter 6, verse 15 says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. The last, uh, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done with the help of God. When we all pull together, what happens is far bigger than the sum total of each of our individual parts. When we all invest what's in front of us and do what we can, God adds his blessing to it, and it becomes bigger than what we can do. Folks, what we're doing is, a, is, a, is an entire Riverside family project. When they were threatened by the enemy, Nehemiah told the people, he said, fight for your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your spouses, your neighbors. And, and that's what I see us doing together is we're fighting for the souls of our family, of our children, of our community. Of, we're, we're doing what we can to shore up the walls of their life, to protect them from the enemy's challenges and battles. That's what this is all about. But we all need to do our part. And that's why Teresa and I are saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do this. And notice, some people just build the little section for their house, and then it said, goes in that chapter. Some people rebuilt the gates. I think, I think some people, obviously, I'm not talking about equal giving. I'm talking about equal sacrifice. Some people's equal sacrifice is enough to rebuild a gate. Some people's sacrifice might be just enough to build a few bricks in front of the their home where they live. And so what I'm asking people to do is pray about 
What are you able to do at this time to help us achieve this goal for all the right reasons and all the right motives? Teresa and I believe that God's calling us to be gate builders. In other words, we're going to invest a lot right now to build one of the gates. And I know some of you here are thinking, how can I do something big to help us get this thing done? And we can invest to build some gates. And so we've already put a good two-thirds of what we're going to put into it up front. You know, we had some money sitting in savings, and you know savings aren't getting anything right now. So why let it sit there? Let's invest it. So a couple weeks ago at our big event, we just put our first check of $10,000 in, and we're investing in that. And I don't say that to brag. I just want you to know that I'm not telling you to do anything that I'm not willing to do, and the staff of the board is not willing to do also. And we're already almost 10% there because of what the staff and the board has done, about 8% there. So thank God for that, or what they've committed to do, I should say. So what can you do? What can you do? That's all I'm asking you to do, to pray about that. Some of you maybe, well, we don't give anything to the church yet. Maybe you need to just start tithing. That would be a great step up. And, and if you're not tithing, I encourage you to just start tithing. And if everybody in a church tithes, you never even need to do a capital campaign. But let's just do what we can right now to increase what we can give to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Wow. Amen? Amen. I want you to know, I believe in you. Help me to believe. Help my unbelief. How's that, right? I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's do this. I think we could do this. So um, some of you might only be able to do a little part. Um, Some of you might be on a fixed income and, 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 you know, maybe... Maybe at this moment you can't, but over the next three years, if God blesses you, you say, I will do what I can. We're hoping a good chunk of of the work down at the other building can be done with volunteer labor. We want to build out the offices, and it's going to take hard work, it's going to take time, and maybe some of you saying, well, I can volunteer my time and help save money that way for the church. Maybe some of you are older, you're on fixed incomes, you don't have anything left over. You can pray. Everybody can pray, but you can pray. A couple weeks ago, we gave out these prayer magnets, and uh, I think we're out of them right now, but we'll be glad to, to help, uh, help you if you want one to, to make some more or whatever we can do there. But we want you to pray the children are going to find a strong uh, foundation of faith in Christ because of what we're doing. We want you to pray that students are going to discover their true value in God because of what we're doing. We want you to pray that adults who come here are going to find and follow Jesus and be empowered to help carry God's grace and love to the world around them. We want you to pray that people of all ages find and get transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives so that we can make a difference in the world. Will you do that? Will you pray? Will you pray? So if you would be so kind, at this time, if you're able and prepared, I want you to grab, grab the uh, commitment card. And I want to I I take a moment and pray. But let me just explain this to you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, oh, pastor, I forgot today was a day. I need to talk to my spouse about this. I need to look at my finances. Feel free to bring it back next week or send it in. But I definitely want to know how much we can move forward in this. And that's why we need to hear from you. We need to know, because we are not going to spend money we don't have. We borrowed the money to buy this building 
and to start the project, but we'll never be able to complete it if we don't raise the funds for it. And so I, we need to know where we stand financially to do that. And, and if you could do something up front, the sooner better, then we can keep moving on this project and not delay it. But there are several ways you could let us know. One might be what you can give weekly. So, for instance, if you want to give $10 a week more, over the next three years, 156 weeks, you're looking at $1,500. That would be a blessing. I, I think that most people could, could find a way to save $10 that they're spending in an average week. Maybe more, maybe twice or three times that. But, uh, but, but we'll need a lot more people to do more than that. So maybe it's a monthly gift. Maybe it's a one-time gift. Uh, I mentioned to the other service, and, um, and forgive me if this doesn't make sense to you, but uh, stocks are at a high, at their all-time high right now. I know people think, oh, how could that be? How could that be? But it is. You know, the, the stocks are at an all-time high. And maybe you have the ability to transfer stocks, and we, we are, you're able to do that, to transfer. And if you talk to Don Greb, he'll give you the information of how... And so if you do that, you don't have to pay the capital gains on those taxes. It's a way for you to give without, without having to, to be taxed on that income. And that might be, for some of you, a way to do something significant up front. I'm just throwing out ideas. I have plenty more if you want to know. <laughs> I, I would hope that there would be a whole... Well, we have the rummage sale. Let's invest that, and that's going toward that. Maybe you can get rid of some of the stuff that you don't need anymore. I would love to see a whole bunch of Craigslist listings this week on a bunch of junk that you have sitting around you just want to get rid of and let somebody buy it and give it toward the project. There's plenty of ways you could do it. So I could go on and on about this, but I think I've said enough. Have I said enough? Say, just say enough, Pastor, enough, Pastor. We've heard it. Good. What I want you to do is pray. And pray. And, 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 and pray. If you can do something today, that would be awesome. If you could drop this in in just a little bit with your offering, make sure you designate clearly what you're going to give. But let us know so we know what we're able to do as we move forward. And uh, next week we'll begin a new sermon series on uh, a great Mother's Day talk next week and sermon series about uh, family matters. So, so let's, uh, let's get excited about that too. Well, can we pray, Dave? I'm going to ask you to come in the band. And I want us to pray. I want us to respond with this song. And... If you could just take a few seconds and fill that out right now. Lord, right now I pray that we would do what you're asking us to do to make this happen. Show us maybe areas of our finances where we can save some money to be able to invest it in the mission of God. So show us some maybe ways that we can get some new income to be able to show us maybe some ways that we can take steps of faith and take out of the blessings that we have and put it toward helping us to reach people, help people to find and follow Jesus. God, I pray your blessing on every person in this room. And for those that are guests, I know, I hope they understand the, the reason why we're doing this today. And Help Riverside be as strong as we can be for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.